CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, they got here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, Monday, starting at 9, 8 central, on CBS, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that... He was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell, and we are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Okay, thanks for being here. Appreciate you guys making time for us. As always, I am joined by Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Those are the two guys who have the insight that you are here to listen to. And they have the the game knowledge and the uh, the ability to analyze, which is why they've been you know so crucial for Inside Carolina for so long. Guys, how are you, Sean? Doing well. Nice to appear after a after a victory, uh, especially coming from from last week. Yeah, those can still happen. Trill, how you feeling, man? Yeah, it's crazy. Thanks, the first win since Thanksgiving. That's that is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I was thinking today, like they should. This team should feel much better. Um towards the Christmas holiday, if they can, you know, take care of business than they felt at Thanksgiving. Uh, and it's insane that it's been that long since they won. But here we sit, December the 11th, as we're recording this. I appreciate you guys making a part of it. Yeah, as Sean referenced, Tar Heels 75-59 over Georgia Tech at home yesterday. I do want to caveat this show with, I don't think Georgia Tech is a very good team. Um, yeah, I, I think the Tar Heels should be beating the teams that are in front of them. But I don't. I want folks that listen to know that we're not overinflating a win against Georgia Tech right now by any means. But you got to get them how you can get them, and the Tar Heels desperately needed a win. They got it yesterday. Cheryl, the first thing I want to come to you with is we saw Armando Baycott yesterday. He's still playing with the AC joint issue, but he looked normal. But more importantly, the offense looked normal running through him. I uh, posted twenty-one and thirteen and got his twenty-one points on sixteen field goals, which again. If the offense is running through him, I feel like that is right. How do you feel like you know Hubert Davis finally got the team to realize you got a preseason All-American in the post, let's feed him? Well, if you look at his post-game comments, he basically said they made some major schematic changes uh, to the offense over break. And, and one of the criticisms, I think, was that why, why isn't UNC adapting? Why isn't UNC changing? And his response was, well, they only had the chance to practice two or three times over the last, you know, two and a half weeks. So I think you did see him implement some new things. I, I don't necessarily have the basketball acumen to, to break those down specifically. A uh, little wink to everybody out there. Um, but if you read his comments, he did talk about basically they were more intentional on having Baycott run rent to rim 
um, especially in, in those transition opportunities. And that way he was able to post a lot sooner um, and a lot deeper than he had been most of the season. And there were still some times where they missed him. I mean, you know, if you uh, listen to the radio broadcast or the TV overlay, there were a couple of times where Eric Montross, who does uh, color analysis for UNC, was just like, he's open to get him the ball. And, and you know, it wasn't <laughs> quite as quick as UNC hoped. But, um, you know, just the fact that it was working inside out, which is what Hubert Davis again said after the um, game was that that was the goal. They wanted to get back to that. They had to work that way because of the advantages they have with Nance and Baycott. Um, so I think, you know, everybody's been looking for UNC's counter because the, the Horns action hasn't been working like it was this year. Hubert Davis said people were playing him differently. So he countered and went to more of a, uh, it looked more traditional, more Roy Williams-ish with, mm -hmm. with the rim running um, and how they played in transition. Uh, and we'll see if that is something that they, kind of hold on to moving forward. Sean, one of the things I think is vital when North Carolina decides to feed the post are guys being able to put the ball where Armando Baycott can work with it. This means not throwing it at his feet, not throwing it at his knees, not throwing it over his head. I saw some good entry passes yesterday against Georgia Tech, but I also saw some lazy passes. And I don't want to turn this into a bagging on Caleb Love, but I saw Caleb Love trying to facilitate to Baycott but not making the easy pass and making lazy passes. It wasn't just him. What can this team do to make sure that they're getting the ball to Armando where he wants it? I think one, one of the things is getting Pete Nance involved on, on the perimeter. I think that was one of the things that jump-started the run in the first half was when he caught it on the really the, the left wing, entered it into Armando, and Armando scored to go up four, I believe. And, and that was kind of really at the beginning of that, that run that uh, gave, gave UNC a big lead going into the half and at that point in time it felt like a lot of the other a lot of the other games where UNC looked to be the better team but when you look on the scoreboard there wasn't any difference uh but to your your question around Caleb Love and some of the others I thought it was positive that Caleb was was looking um whether those were a little little slow or a little uh lackadaisical is another question but I did like that he was looking uh you know he did he did have the early assists to uh to armando in the pick and roll mm -hmm. but both uh both caleb and rj had eight turnovers combined so that that's definitely one of the things that needs needs uh continued improvement on but i think the focus on letting the bigs run the court um as well as looking at the bigs in the post will eventually open things up and it'll help everybody else whether that's just continuous ball movement better three-point looks or even cuts to the basket. But one of the first things we talked about last podcast was there is no identity from this team offensively or defensively. Under Roy Williams, every team knew Carolina's going to hit the offensive boards. You got to box out and we've got to get back on defense. And more often than that, more often than not, that made them kind of forget about their game plan a little bit. And I think with UNC looking to push, looking to run, looking to be uh, looking for more opportunities, that can start to create the identity that I think everybody's been looking for. And yeah, sorry, let me jump in. Sure. I, I was just going to jump in. It, it goes back to a question you asked uh, over the weekend on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday. You were just like, what happens when Josh Pastner decides to switch into, you know, a, from a 1-3-1 one, one, to a 2-3 to a 3-2 two, to a box and one and all these other different kind of defenses? Well, it's hard to set your defense if Carolina's playing in transition the whole time. So I think this was a great opponent for Hubert Davis to employ that strategy um, because we know that they did eventually switch to a one-three-one for a couple of possessions, but 
they couldn't do it as much as they wanted because UNC was out in transition so much. Yeah, Sean, the the run you were mentioning was a uh, close of the first half. UNC finished on a sixteen to two run. Um, something I'm curious about: why is UNC's passing better against some teams and trash against others? And Sean, I'll stay here. Is it just is it the way other teams are defending the perimeter, and, and North Carolina is just more comfortable without teams being physical against them? I think this game in particular, one was the emphasis on making quick decisions. You saw that early on, and you have seen seen that in other games where it where it it was obviously talked about. You know, the practices going in, as well as pregame. So you you did see that. So you, they worked on it a lot this week, I'm sure, in terms of that ball movement and making crisper passes. Uh, once again, running the floor a little bit harder. I know that didn't always result in a basket or even look aheads, but. A lot of the players were running running the floor harder. Uh, but to your point, I think in general, we touched on this last week, they do struggle with those physical physical teams that are going to bump you two to three feet outside of the three-point line. They're going to hard hedge on the screens and really just try to beat you up, which did lead to uh, early foul trouble for both Indiana and Iowa State. But at the same time, UNC was letting them dictate and pushing their offense a little farther out. Georgia Tech... Uh, kind of goes in that almost Marquette bucket of hey, you know, they have some athleticism, but they're not gonna they're not gonna start bumping and and hand checking uh twenty three feet from the basket. And I think when UNC is not dealing with that, they're able to run their offense a lot more uh freely. But at the same time, I think some of the uh updates they made to their offense can negate some of that physical play that we will probably see uh come the Ohio State game and from several teams in the ACC. Sherelle, Sean mentioned it a little bit. North Carolina had a lot more transition opportunities yesterday than they've had earlier in the season at times. What's leading to that? Is it is it guys being more aggressive on defense? Is it guys getting their head up quicker? Uh, is it just a willingness to attack? Uh, what do you uh, attribute yesterday's transition opportunities to? Yeah, I think it's just that it, 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 they were intentional about it, that they thought about it, that Every possession, you know, if there was an opportunity, it, it, they tried to push, especially R.J. Davis. I think he deserves a, a lot of credit for how the game kind of flowed yesterday. Him, him and Seth Trimble, I guess we'll get to him in a little bit. Um, but, you know, as soon as R.J. Davis, you know, got the ball, whether it was his rebound, you know, double figures and rebounding for your six-foot, 5'11 uh, point guard is, is pretty <laughs> phenomenal. But whether he was grabbing the rebound, rebound and going or whether one of the bigs was was getting to him and going, you know, there was not much wasted time coming up the court and again when you don't have to play against a set defense it's you know it's a lot easier to, to get your guys to their spots um, so I, I give a lot of it to him but also you can't get in transition if you don't get stops and for a little while there they were they were struggling on, on the stopping part especially I think uh, it's either Coleman or Kelly since they hit basically everything uh, <laughs> uh, hit the three to put them up 24-23 and then RJ Davis comes in and uh, knocks down the three in the next possession and kind of off it went um, they got a lot of stops during that stretch. So um, once the defense kind of got on solid footing, I would say, I think that's uh, in, in concert with R.J. Davis pushing. That's what really got the transition going. So one of the things that Josh Pastner had said prior to yesterday, and he's, I think he told anybody in the media during his availability with him that he knew um, he knew North Carolina was a good shooting team. He just hoped they didn't get hot yesterday. Well, the Tar Heels did not. However... A problem that has continued to plague the Tar Heels is that they gave up a lot from beyond the perimeter. Georgia Tech had not been shooting very well from three for the year, but as Sherelle mentioned a second ago, Kelly and Coleman combined to, to hit six threes. 
Uh, and Georgia Tech as a team went nine of 26, which is just a hair under 35%. Why does the open shots from the perimeter keep popping up? And do they, they keep playing this Tar Heel defense? Shrell, you have any ideas? Yeah, I don't. Uh, again, I, I think <laughs> maybe it, it's not helping when you're when you're uh, supposed to help or, or helping when you're not supposed to help. But some of those threes, they're they're just stepping. They're not even contested. I'd love to see Adrian's data about, you know, moderately contested, lightly contested or heavily contested. But mm-hmm. it felt like especially the ones that um, Coleman hit, it felt like those were just open and he just, you know, could get into his rhythm and knock it down. So. I'm not sure. Uh, Hero Davis, after the game, talked about trusting that you're going to get help if you help, and maybe they're still working on that. Uh, but, you know, to their credit, I think Georgia Tech had seven in the first half and only two in the second. So they did limit them in the second half, but there was a stretch there where all of Georgia Tech's points basically came from the three-point line, and it wasn't like, you know, North Carolina was getting hands and faces on every possession. So that that is definitely still an area for improvement, I think. Sean, what do you see when this team is rotating? Is it guys not talking? Is it guys just like Sherelle said, are they not trusting that someone else is going to be there? Are they trusting too much that someone else is going to be there? Just what are you seeing from a team fluidity perspective on defense right now? Well, even though Georgia Tech hit uh, hit several threes in this game, they came in shooting under 30%. I think it was um, outside of you know really two players that can shoot. You could kind of see uh, when they were bringing the ball up the court, RJ was one foot inside of the three-point line, and they're really playing off a lot of the players in this particular game. But one of the things, I'll talk about improvements first and then kind of go to your question. It did seem there was a lot more communication, uh, not to the level that it will need to be uh, to get wins in the NCAA tournament or wins against Q1, Q1 opponents, but it was definitely an improvement from the Thanksgiving time period uh, in terms of the the switching, the talking, and some of the communication. So hopefully that will continue to increase. Uh, and once once again, going back to when that run started, there was, I think it was Seth Trimble and, and Pete Nance. Uh, it looked like they had some really strong communication going on, whether that was a switch, um, et cetera. And, and that was one, one of the many factors of that run. But they do tend uh, to lose focus at times. And just as what Terrell mentioned, overhelp. Even though some of the threes that were hit on Leaky Black, uh, he was he, he was pretty much guarding the three-point line, but he still was allowing an open open shot. So he's almost a step, a step slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see you always have seen that from Carolina teams, the propensity to overhelp, even if you're even if that overhelp is not really doing anything. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think it was <laughs> was going back through some messages from from last year, and it was there were several quotes from a, a coach as they were preparing for North Carolina, and it was striking to me at how how well those quotes were still fitting at this point in time this year. And one of the quotes was, "You know, just look to get in the paint. We know Carolina is going to overhelp, and then we just have to kick it, kick it to the corners, kick it to the the wings, and we're going to get wide open shots." Um, so I, I think that is just a general team issue, <laughs> not not the, just this year, but over the years. And I think the help was better, but the help needs to be from from players that can actually step in and either cut off a, a driver as well as the one defender covering for uh, for that position. But when it comes to all four other defenders helping out, then that does leave a lot of open open players, especially when when the help isn't isn't doing much uh, to, to slow anything down. 
I think a frustrating thing for fans is when they see that help and it's half stepped, right? Like it's not yeah. a full commitment to help off uh, towards the ball. And you have steps, you get kind of to your point earlier, you kind of caught in this no man's land where you're not on the shooter, you're not on the ball either. So it's kind of to, to quote the uh, the Nobel laureate, Mark Jackson, hand down, man down. And that's that's been bad for the Tar Heels, been a bad recipe for their defense. Uh, what is a good recipe is you and Johnny T-Shirt's amazing selection of gear this time of year. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, big supporters of Inside Carolina. We're supporters of theirs. It's alumni-owned and operated, local business. You want to support local businesses as much as you can. Be sure to check them out right now. If you hit them up quickly, you could probably still get your stuff shipped to you by Christmas. Don't guarantee that. I don't know that for sure, but I know they're really always on the ball with their shipping speed. So uh, go to johnnytshirt.com. Premium subscribers inside Carolina know that you get an extra 10% off the top if you use the code that's on the premium message board. So use that. Uh, Or if you're in town for a game sometime soon, stop into the store there on East Franklin Street. Great selection, friendly staff. They'll take care of anything you need. We're just big fans of theirs, and we hope that you will be as well. We appreciate them supporting Inside Carolina. Take a quick break. The national guys drop some commerciales right in this space here. And we'll be right back to complete this episode of the Coast Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. I'm Joey Powell. Coast to Coast Podcast coming at you. Appreciate you being with us as always. Guys, we talked about that end of first half run that Tar Heels went on. I believe it was 11-0 and then 16-2 overall. Uh, But they did that with Caleb Love out of the game. And I want to share a stat from our guy, uh, Adrian Atkinson. Uh, he's at Freeport Kid on Twitter. He's a great follow, especially if you're a stat junkie. I'm not because I'm awful at math. But Adrian is so good at pointing these things out and kind of breaking them down as to what they mean over the context of a team's performance. He tweeted uh, earlier today, uh, Carolina is outscoring opponents by four points per 100 with Caleb Love on the court, but 26 points per 100 with him on the bench. The Tar Heels have been 10 points per 100 better offensively with him but 32 points per 100 worse on the defensive end. Sherell, I've seen times this year where Caleb Love looked as if he could be engaged when he wants to be on defense. What do you make out of that stat? Yeah, that one's tough. Um, I think I I will choose a different direction to go in. I think it says that Seth Trimble provides this team something that it did not have last year, which, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about. 
which is someone who can come in and when Caleb Love or RJ Davis need a rest or need a second to just get themselves together to let the, the moment sink in to, to calm down a little bit. Seth Trimble can come in and while he may not have the offensive prowess of Caleb Love or RJ Davis, um, he has the defensive, you know, prowess in spades, I would say. Um, the game changes in, significantly when he's in the game because we've talked about kind of the on the ball defense and, and, um, how that works for UNC and how sometimes it seems like it isn't there. Well, when Trimble's in the game, it's there. And I think he's a he's shown that he's a willing passer. He's a very good finisher uh, because of because of his athleticism. So I think to me it says more that Seth Trimble is a really good defender than Caleb Love is a bad defender. I know that's the first initial reaction is that oh well Caleb's awful at defense. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been great, and I think he would tell you he hasn't been great. And I think he would tell you um, that the season hasn't gone so far the way he thought it would. However, I think. It just says that North Carolina does have a little depth uh, with Trimble and that he can come in and he can really help UNC, um, especially defensively um, when R.J. Davis or Caleb Love needs a moment. And he's been contributing positively, right? It's not even a net neutral. It's like he's bringing things to the table, like you mentioned. But I think the play of the game against Georgia Tech may have been uh, that little bounce pass he hit R.J. Davis with cutting for a layup. I mean, that's that's guard to guard. and He looked absolutely like a comfortable point guard facilitating when he hit Davis for that layup. Sean, do you have anything that you want to say about you know about Love's defense? Or again, I, I appreciate Trail's perspective there. Maybe it is just more about Tremble and him being different in that equation than it is about Caleb Love. Sure, I'll, I'll start Seth Trimble just because Sherell uh, Sherell went there, and and I think the the minutes we saw the last two games were, were probably the minutes a lot of people were hoping for. Uh, really started in in that you know probably Iowa State. Game, he played 13 minutes, so really the Alabama and Indiana games. Um, just given what we we've talked about, that he he offers things that nobody else on the team offers, and mm-hmm. one that from a athleticism first step perspective, offensively, uh, defensively, that on the ball pressure, uh, and just his his defensive instincts. But one of the other things that he is is really good at, whether we saw him pushing the ball and hitting Armando running down the lane, but when he's playing with RJ. Um, is probably the only player that RJ really passes to 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 get the ball up the up the up the floor quicker. And I think that's a testament to Trimble really running, uh, you know, really running hard and and making it so it does he does have to get the ball passed to him because he is that so far ahead of everybody else. So I feel the RJ Trimble it really helps RJ out when he's on the break. Um, but going to going to Caleb, um, I mean, th- there's no denying that teams are definitely looking to target him uh, at the beginning of the game. And going back to Iowa State and Caleb Grill, he has been getting getting torched, um, you know, from from that uh, shooting guard that, that they usually have going off. And once again, this goes back to another quote, same coach. Yeah, you know, it says, let's put let's put love in the in the grinder. Let's run him through 19 screens because he, he really does struggle uh, in the pick and roll off ball. I think given his, his size, athletic ability, wingspan, he, um, he gets locked in when he's on the ball a lot. And even if he makes mistakes, he's, he's working hard, but when it comes off ball, he can kind of, you know, kind of lose it. I don't want to say lose interest, but he he maybe loses some, some focus, I think. And that can allow for the back doors that can allow for the, the helps that aren't really, really helping. Um, and then this goes back to the communication 
because uh, I, I did go back to the Iowa State and Alabama games. Both those games, UNC was was up, and especially the Iowa State game, that could have been a game where they just put them away either early or in this, you know, numerous times they they had opportunities and they were really targeting Love in uh, in screens pretty much every time. And it might not have been Caleb Grill scoring, but sometimes maybe Armando switched and Caleb didn't. But there's a lot of lack of communication. So I think that is really defensively one of the main improvement points, just a little bit more focus. Also knowing that teams are going to try to target you and get you out of sorts. And just to use that as motivation, um, knowing that he is really, from a talent perspective, the most talented player on on UNC. Shrill. Yeah, I would say, too, you think about his offense. Um, he hasn't really, I would say, after those first couple of games, hasn't had one of those just charged offensive performances where he can hit, you know, whatever uh, he's shooting. And I think anyone who's played sports, especially basketball, realizes that your your offense sometimes, whether it should be or not, your defense is kind of praise off of your offense. So mm-hmm. I, I would think if he can have some better offensive performances more efficiently, that will energize him defensively. And know that I know people will hear that and they hate to hear that, but it's realistic. It's true. It's reality. Yeah. So I, I think hopefully that's something for him that can improve because if he gets his offense going, his defense gets going, then that takes Carolina just to, you know, another level from where they are now. I mean, I would uh, just to jump in real quick, I would love to see him getting five to six defensive rebounds a game. Um, you know, RJ getting 10 rebounds was just showing his his focus and his effort. I mean, even those offensive rebounds, he was he was in the middle of the lane going up against, uh, you know, mm-hmm. three to four guys that were six, seven, you know, six, seven or, or taller and coming down with a rebound. And and you have Caleb, uh, when a shot goes up, he'll, 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 he'll look, he'll turn to look for the, the shooter, but he's not very active unless the ball bounces in his direction. And I think, once again, there's no reason he shouldn't be uh, one of the best defensive rebounders on the team outside of outside of Armando and, and Leahy Black, and that can also get get him the ball in transition and, and push the ball. Uh, you know, he did do two uh, throwheads last game mm-hmm. in, in the first half. It didn't turn into any points, but I, once again, that was something I I liked him him doing, and hopefully, just keeping the the eyes up uh, for both him and him and RJ as they go can lead to easier baskets yeah for all of the fans who were bagging on uh love for the amount of shots he took in the four overtime game against alabama and uh maybe his shooting percentage not being so high i think they have to be a little happier with his willingness to facilitate yesterday against georgia tech i think he he looked to pass the ball he looked to get guys involved and and that's something that folks have have kind of criticized him pretty harshly for um in the past guys we also had a Jalen Washington sighting yesterday, and and I want to give Sherelle some some props. He um he felt like if if it was going to happen yesterday, it'd be towards the end of the game, it did. And Jalen Washington now is averaging forty points per forty minutes, uh, and he is shooting one hundred percent from the field on the year, as I tweeted out yesterday after the game. So at this point, he's basically you know, jerseying the Raptors type material, right, Sherelle? Yeah, it was good to see. It was good to see him play, man. I mean, um, for those who don't know him. Uh, he is a, a, a tremendous person outside of basketball. And, you know, people say that all the time, like, oh, he's as good of a basketball player as he is. He's a better person. And they just say that to try to get on people's good side. But with Washington, it's actually true. And that's one of the reasons he was the perfect, you know, I would say cultural fit 
for UNC when, when they went out recruiting him, just the first time after talking to him on the phone, you're like, yeah, this, I get it. I get why Hubert Davis is, is after this kid. And that, that's leaving the basketball completely, uh, you know, apart. So just on a, on a human level um, to be, to, to see what he's gone through over the last two years, basically. Um, and to him now being on the court in his first college game, that was a, a cool moment. I think moving forward, um, I'm still, I, I still would be surprised if he is a huge contributor this year. Um, been wrong before, been wrong this year, was wrong last year. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but it just a, a really feel good moment for him. I, I think in the future, he's going to be a really good player for North Carolina as he continues to get healthy and get his rhythm back. But it was, again, it was just a good, a really cool moment for a good person. And it was really clear that the team appreciated that because they were trying to get him involved. They wanted to get him a bucket. They wanted to get him in the stat sheet. Then after the game, they all really celebrated with him and, and doused him afterwards. Sean, I, I think that kind of leads a little bit to something we hadn't seen prior in the last few games is that this team looked yesterday like they were having a little bit of fun. How important is that for this squad moving forward? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what gets them to that level that everybody everybody's hoping for. I think it, there's a lot of talented individuals, uh, but it, it needs them all playing at a high level, needs them all playing together. Don't need anybody to get 30 points, but I think there's, there's several people that can get you 20 each game. And then there's hopefully several others that can hit key shots and, and make key plays. And going back to the identity, a lot of that comes from the coaching staff, but it also comes from players figuring out roles and, and understanding roles. And there's still a long ways to go on that. But I think this was definitely a, a positive step in the, in the right direction. And I think also a lot of that goes back to enjoying playing with each other. And when you know, you know, when, when you're just watching one guy shoot over and over, that doesn't really help um, just everybody feel a part of the action, uh, which I think can then make you, uh, you know, probably not as focused on the defensive end. So I think with the ball movement, with, with passing the ball, with those assists, I, I think that just goes back to Carolina basketball, which everybody likes to say and which Hebert talked about. So I, I think it, you know, that, type of camaraderie will, will help out hopefully uh, once uh, 2023 rolls around. All right, fellas. Well, next ball game for the Tar Heels to try to continue this, this feel-good vibe that they've seemed to gain back will be against the Citadel on Tuesday night at the Smith Center. Uh, yeah, the Tar Heels should be a pretty heavy favorite there. Boys, before we get out of here, I'll give you a chance for your two cents. Sherelle, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, so the holiday classics and tournaments uh, kind of kick off this week in in earnest, and a big one is down um, in Fort Myers. It's the City of Palms Classic. Sean's been there a few times, knows it well. <laughs> um, UNC's two guards in 2024, league guards who they've offered, Elliot Cadeau and Boogie Flan, are both playing down there. Um, now, because of UNC's schedule, mm -hmm. uh, they play Saturday, and then they play Wednesday in Charlotte. Not quite sure if UNC will be able to get down there, but the tournament starts, I believe, this Friday, the 16th. Um, and then there'll be some tournaments after Christmas that, that we can talk about, you know, next week. But uh wanted to shout that out because it's it's a big deal. And I think some of the games are televised on ESPN. I'll have to double check that and we'll we'll put it on the message board if so. Awesome. Thanks for adding that. Yeah, it's not a ton going on for recruiting right now, but anytime you do have you know, some of UNC's recruiting board going up against each other in high-profile tournaments. I think that's obviously worth a mention. Thanks for mentioning that. Sean, anything you want to add before we wrap up shop for tonight? Uh, well, the, the City of Palms is is an awesome, awesome tournament. So if you live 
uh, in that central Florida area, I would definitely recommend going in. I made it, I want to say 10, 10 or 11 years in a row. And it's just a great place to see a lot of good um, high school basketball. In terms of my two, two pennies, um, one would be Ohio State. So that is pretty much the Michigan game of, of last year where they needed they needed a win. Uh, this would be really their first um, quality win of the season. And I think Ohio State, very uh, they're, they're a strong team. Uh, despite what I said a, a, a few weeks ago, uh, they are, <laughs> they, they are pretty, pretty, you know, they're, they're top, top 20 team. Ken Palm, number th- uh, three team offensively in terms of a efficiency standpoint, defensively, um, you know, number 78. So there's definitely uh, from an offensive perspective, some things to watch out for. They, they lost to Duke and San Diego state and they're a pretty young team. So this is, they, they you know, there are some quotes about, uh, going to Duke and what a big moment w- was uh, their first Big Ten game, which they won, uh, I think, on a buzzer beater or a point against Rutgers. So mm-hmm. this will be their first game in a NBA arena as well, I believe. And with a young team, they do rely on on some freshmen. I think this is kind of like that Iowa State where hopefully UNC can establish themselves early and just kind of put their foot down versus playing to the level of, of the competition. Um, and also with Ohio state, their big guy. Um, uh, why am I, why am I blanking on? Yeah. Zed key. Um, I was, I was having key Zed in my, in my head, but he he's six, eight. So, you know, he's not gonna He's not taller, but he has a seven, two wingspan and he is top 10 in the country, um, in offensive rebounds. And it'll be interesting to watch, watch that dynamic. Uh, but once again, an extremely important game for, for UNC to win. And then, just, you know, a few other thoughts from the Georgia Tech game. Uh, Leakey, over the last three games, he's one and seven. They've got to find a way to get him going a little bit more offensively, whether that is off-ball cuts um, or, or, or just kind of trying to get him some easy baskets, which I think will reduce any any forced, um, you know, jumpers jumpers late. And then, you know, uh, Nickel, I thought he, you know, he had, a, he had a big shot in the first half. I was surprised we didn't see him at all in the second, but... With him, the ball doesn't stick. Uh, he gets it. He's looking to he's looking to get it up, or he's looking to to attack or pass it. And I think that's that's what the the team needs. Uh, defensively, I thought he he you know he, he worked hard. We we know that's not his his strength. But once again, I think if if you're get if those bench guys are getting in and and producing, you know, puff with offensive rebound and and put back. So I think those are the plays that they'll need to have, especially against Ohio State, uh, which will be. a really their hopefully their their biggest win of the year yeah nickel very decisive uh and zed key you mentioned him from ohio state i mean the kid plays volleyball out there he is absolutely like you said an offensive glass machine and it'll be uh it'll be a heck of a matchup between he and, and baycott and nance just to see if the Tar Heels can get back to their old school ways of, of kind of working the glass really well that game i mentioned the citadel game tuesday night the ohio state game will be next saturday uh the 17th at three o'clock Games at MSG, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. Um, but fellas, anything else? Good. Going once, going twice. How? Let me just say. All right. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing big. But I thought, and, and I, I don't know why this particular play sticks in my mind. But the first three that Caleb Love hit in the second half, uh, I think it was his first of the game. It was it pure was just, too. It was just such a nice step in, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, that is the kind of three that you want to see him take. I would love just a few more times as the ball starts to go inside out, 
you know, more is it, you know, work through Baycott and work through Nance, a couple of times where they kick it out and let him just step into it. Because when he steps into it, the form, the release, everything looks really good. So um, that's the kind of three that you want him to take. You know, obviously he has the ability to make some of those step backs, but you don't want to live by that. Um, so just stuck out my mind in my mind that maybe that's something that the, the staff will look at it and try to scheme up some more. Yeah, it was absolutely a very, very pretty shot. And as you guys mentioned earlier, working inside out will give the opportunity for that. And and like you said, Trill, it was absolutely pure. Sean, I'm I'm going to let you have a chance to mention this uh, because the the ball rotation was absolutely silky. Like it was, you know, it was something from a Luther Vandross album uh, when they got Pete Nance at three yesterday. You want to mention that? Yeah, you know, I don't think we we can go the whole whole podcast without mentioning that specific play because that was probably one of the best plays we've seen all season uh, from from throwing maybe not the greatest entry pass into Armando, but <laughs> for for him to catch it instead of trying to force something, uh, delivers it out to to Nance in the corner. RJ pump fake, you know, he had opportunity to force a three or even take a, a long two. Then he kicks it for you know a good shot to a great shot, and and Nance knocks it down. And that was, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about ball movement and trying to get better shots for your teammates. And that was a, a fantastic thing we saw. And once again, I, I think that shows, hey, you know, continue to put pressure on the defense, uh, continue to make the right pass, and the team will get good shots. They're not going to knock it down all the time. But if you're taking good shots versus the the 27-foot step backs, uh, you know, that that will improve and, and make the team better as we uh, go into Ohio State, Michigan, and ACC play. And good on Pete Nance for stripping it, right? Like they, they, they worked the ball around and good on him for, for knocking it down from the corner. All right, fellas, really going to put a bow on this one this time. I uh, appreciate y'all, you know, getting the most out of this show. A uh, short one because we only have one game to talk about, but uh, next week when we join you, we will have two on our belts, Citadel and Ohio State. Hopefully the Tar Heels can get two wins there. We'll have more positivity to share with you all. But as always, I appreciate Sean and Sherelle for bringing what they bring. Guys, uh, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Shout out to John Siegley for producing, to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring, but for Sharon, for Sharon, I almost got through the show without screwing something up. For Sean Moran and for Sherelle McMillan, I'm just Joey Powell. I appreciate everybody being a part of the show tonight. We'll talk to you next time on the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.